Well, ladies and gentlemen, here it is. Once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and with me is the guy, the man, my buddy, my good friend, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, how are you doing, KG? I'm good, bud. I'm good. Saving lives, stamping out disease and pestilence. Just got announced a, a really substantial pay raise, and, uh, uh, and on top of that, we're going to be getting our hazard pay uh, retroactive to January on top of that. So life is, life is pretty good. Awesome, man. I'll be able to help you with that bathroom. How's that going? Oh my God. Uh, it's, it should be done, but it's cosmetic stuff. And then yesterday I discovered a, uh, leak in the toilet water supply line. So I've got to cut out a section of, uh, drywall and, and investigate and repair that, uh, and then reinstall the toilet and, that's just it's just one thing after the other but hey man getting you know almost a uh eleven thousand dollar a year pay raise here in a couple days so pretty nice yep yep very nice it's really good when you're able to put your hands on more money yeah and uh, my financial sense says i'll let you go into your retirement account but we'll talk about finances later but kelly you know I, i missed it but you uh did a webinar you did an airway management webinar mm-hmm. for ems1 and uh, i did want to uh, check it out but i had some other business that day and i well, haven't man, gotten it's a re- recorded so i know i haven't gotten that. around to the recording let me finish <laughs> let me finish my thought before you jump all over me and uh, but i thought we should talk about it i mean because airway management is an important concept when it comes to ems Maybe something we don't do very, very well uh, overall as a career field, but maybe just give us the premise. What was the uh, what was the webinar about? It was uh, it was called Plan C: Navigating the Difficult Airway. And and uh, EMS One and Zoll approached me about doing this uh, to to uh, go through some of the nuts and bolts of of managing the difficult airway and and how to escalate beyond. Uh, uh, your BLS airway maneuvers and, and when to give up and cry uncle and, and summon a, uh, a uh, more educated or, or experienced provider to, to assist with the airway and that sort of thing. Um, because I think that one of the, uh, I think they recognize that that's one of the, uh, the uh, deficiencies or one of the weak areas that we, we feel we have in, in this, uh, in this profession. And uh, they're, they're trying to, uh, come up with educational opportunities to address those areas and uh, airway management. Finally, we're recognizing the, uh, how much we suck at it. You know, one of the things that you talk about is this: the focus of the of this webinar is really, you know, advanced airway management. But before we get into that discussion, how are we doing with basic airway management? It seems that the the challenge is that we automatically want to go to the big guns and as a career field we may not have the best practice of what a basic airway management should be about i mean what's your feel for that well uh i think that that as as far as uh als providers uh go we 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 kind of overlook bls airway management and uh, i think the way we need to approach this is is just from that aspect, airway management. There is no ALS airway. There is no BLS airway. There is a spectrum of airway maneuvers, uh, and many of which are, are BLS in nature and, and, and don't really need a, a paramedic, even if a paramedic is performing them. Uh, so uh, uh, 
one of the the myths that we foster in emergency medical services and and in healthcare in general is is this myth of the gold standard of airway management. And I know you were taught it. I was taught it. We were taught that the the gold standard of airway management is an endotracheal tube, uh, meaning the very best we can do uh, to manage an airway is the most invasive uh, device that we have. And, and that's not true. Uh, and that's something I learned uh, in taking and, and teaching the, the SLAMS uh, street level airway management courses uh, early on was that uh, airway management is a continuum of, of care and interventions and that the gold standard of airway management is whatever achieves effective oxygenation ventilation. And you should only go as far as you need to to achieve effective oxygenation and ventilation. So I, I think we all need to, uh, and in my, my lectures at uh, airway management lectures around the country, I talk about um, uh, this, this concept of an airway continuum. And that's something I also talk about in the, uh, in the webinar as well. Go ahead and define that airway continuum. Giving credit where credit is due, um, uh, this was this idea was born uh, of a, a conversation between myself and Wes Ogilvy. And uh, Wes uh, approached me one day and he said, Kelly, why is it that, that most ALS providers just look at BLS airway management as something that's beneath them uh, or something they delegate to their partners and they only intervene when it requires an ALS intervention? And uh, I said, well, you know, you have an excellent point there. Uh um, that that is a bias that many of us have. He said we ought to have something like the like the police officers' use of force continuum for airway management. And uh, he left it there, and, and I fleshed it out from there and developed the airway continuum. And and uh, its analogy, uh, the thing it was based off of, was the police officers' use of force continuum, which is a a thought exercise or a, a concept that they teach to uh, law enforcement officers from, from the early days of the police academy to teach them the most uh, effective way to, or, or the, uh, the most appropriate means of, of exercising force. And it's a continuum uh, to teach these people the, uh, the, the appropriate level of force for a given situation so that they can respond appropriately and not be subject to excessive use of force lawsuits. And that's the that's the the concept behind the airway continuum as well, is that we only need to go as invasive as we must to manage the airway, uh, like any any uh, continuum uh, model. That there's there's also uh, instances where we need to jump to the end of the continuum, and uh, the same way with the use of force continuum. You don't speak nicely when someone is drawing a gun and is shooting at you. You jump all the way to lethal force. Uh, and the same thing, there are a few things in, in airway management where we need to move straight to endotracheal intubation. But the rest of the time, we need to start uh, non-invasive and, and get progressively more invasive as the situation demands. And that's the concept we teach with the airway continuum. Go only as, as invasive as you need to to manage the airway effectively because invasive airways in and of themselves pose their own set of risks and complications for the patient. Uh, they, they up the stakes of the patient's care significantly and, uh, and the risk of complications as well. So that's one of the first things we talk about in this webinar is, is escalating uh, along the airway continuum. So when you think about that, though, when we're in the heat of the battle, right, and we're dealing with somebody that's having respiratory uh, depression or we're having somebody that's, uh, you know, just having difficulty breathing, I mean, how do you teach this in the sense of working through this algorithm or this continuum to say, 
all right, well, this isn't so bad. I can get by with this. I, I, I don't have to go right to BVM or I don't have to go right to a non-rebreather. I said, so, so, so when you think about this from the teaching standpoint, what's the best way to teach someone this continuum of care? I, I, I lay out the theoretical model from the, from the very beginning. And it's a, it's a conceptual model for airway management. And, and there are six uh, steps along the continuum, uh, the same as there are with the use of force continuum. Uh, level one and level two are, uh, are intended to make sure that you don't have to use an airway at all. Uh, level one is positioning and supplemental oxygen. Level two is suctioning and inhaled beta agonists. Uh, the idea being is that the, the more you maximize airflow in the patient's ease of breathing, uh, the less likely you are to have to resort to a airway adjunct in the first place. Uh, level three is along the same lines. That's uh, non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, the use of CPAP. And, and we know that, you know, in, in, in the last 10, 15 years that CPAP is really, uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's revolutionized the way we treat uh, severe respiratory distress in the field, uh, and it is resulted resulted in far fewer of our patients needing to be intubated and placed on a ventilator. Uh, but the, the uh, other side of that sword is, is it has also resulted in less opportunities for advanced airway management in the field, and God knows we need the practice. And then level four is BLS airway adjuncts, level five is supraglottic airways, and level six is your, your endotracheal intubation. So I, I teach people to start with um, – First of all, how well is the patient maintaining their airway on their own, and what can you do to help them uh, maintain it better on their own? And when it gets to the point where they can no longer maintain it on their own, um, what devices can we choose uh, that will manage the problem at hand? Uh, and and it's, it's all about the old saying that the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer. Every problem gets treated like a nail. Uh, I teach them to be proficient with, with uh, a number of different airway adjuncts uh, and so that they can uh, most appropriately choose the one uh, for the situation. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of the way it goes. Uh, yeah. You were talking about in the heat of the moment, um, the more you train uh, and the more you, you exercise this conceptual model, the less likely your, your actions are going to be instinctual uh, and there'll be more reason. The, the more you ingrain this, uh, the less likely you are to get tunnel vision, go straight to your endotracheal tube and forget to pre-oxygenate and, and post-oxygenate and uh, suction your patient and all that kind of stuff. Um, you'll, you'll be more measured, and the more measured and stepwise and, and methodical you are at airway management generally, the more successful you're going to be. You know, so I want to go ahead and talk about this advanced airway management because okay. I think that this is important. And one of the things that you mentioned is, um, you know, the, you know, CPAP in the field and, mm -hmm. and using it, and it's now the double-edged sword that it's making the patient have a little bit better outcome. But then again, we're not getting the use of our skills when it comes to innovation. Mm -hmm. But the, the question that I thought about as soon as you said that was, well, is innovation becoming obsolete? You and I have had the discussion about you know, multiple times, is it time that we move to just superglottic airways and forget about intubation? I mean, there are some systems where you've got a longer transport where maybe putting them uh, on a ventilator via an ET tube is necessary, but in a system that's got a 5, 6, 10, 15 minute uh, transport time, 
are superglottic airways enough? Um, so when we think about this from a CPAP standpoint, uh, you mentioned it. I mean, it's doing good for the patient, but it's not doing good for our skills. Do we really need yeah. to take it to level six? Number two is, do we stay with superglottic airways instead of going to that intubation? And then, you know, with that, on top of that is the fact of that a lot of our first responders are getting on scene before us. And if they recognize the need for an advanced airway, shouldn't they be the ones to be able to place that supergodic airway before our arrival? And uh, this way we're, uh, you know, we've got a better airway hopefully when we get there. So, I mean, a lot of different things to unpack there, Kelly, but what do you give us? I, I think personally that, that uh, superglottic airways need to be uh, wholesale uh, moved within the realm and the scope of practice of BLS providers. I think it's unconscionable that uh, EMTs in some states cannot insert a blind superglottic airway. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, and the reason that they, they don't, you know, it's obvious that, that the regulatory bodies and, and the medical directors don't trust them. Uh, the problem with that is when you don't trust your EMTs, they tend to lower their performance to your low expectations. Uh, you, you hit the goals that you, you uh, aimed at. And uh, I know that in Louisiana, uh, uh, any superglottic airway is within the scope of practice for a BLS provider, for an EMT. Uh, and we are proficient at it. We do a good job at it. Um, so it, it's not like this is some foreign concept. Uh, it's simply the fact that, that people uh, have uh, low expectations of the skills and knowledge of BLS providers. And those BLS providers tend to meet those expectations because that's all people require and expect of them. Uh, I, I think if we raise the bar a little bit, the, the superglottic airway should be uh, part and parcel of the EMT scope of practice. Um, and, and yes, I think that BLS, uh, I think that endotracheal intubation is going away. And that's a darn shame. I don't think it should go away. I think it should be a useful tool in our arsenal. We should not have to take another tool out of our toolbox because some of us are not adept at it or even competent at it. Uh, what we should do is raise the bar profession-wide and make sure that we are better at endotracheal intubation than we have been in the past. We've been believing our own press clippings and believing our and, and being self-congratulatory at it uh, for far too long, and, and there's nothing to be proud about anymore. You know, we've all, we're doing the same job as, job as doctors at 3 a.m. at 70 miles an hour, or uh, you intubate in a nice, well-lit uh, operation, uh, surgical suite with, with plenty of help, and I do it at 3 a.m. upside down in a ditch with some by flashlight. And uh, we need to stop thumping our chest about that and admit what, what Dr. Henry Wang has been pointing out for years is that generally the EMS profession sucks at advanced airway management. And get better at it because there are there are agencies and, and systems around the country uh, that do a good job at it. So we need to start modeling them instead of convincing ourselves that, oh, well, we're just as good as Boston EMS or or, or uh, some other or Seattle Kings County Medic One. You know, we, we can intubate with the best of them. Uh, well, show me your numbers and then we'll we'll uh, we'll decide if that's true or not. But until then, you need to be copying what those guys do. Uh training and oversight wise to make sure that you're bringing your your people up to uh up to that level because yeah, the numbers say otherwise yeah very interesting stuff i got a really great question for you but before we do that i want to just go ahead and send a shout out to our listeners are you enjoying the show please take a moment to rate and review us on apple Podcasts. 
Contact the Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com to share ideas, suggestions for shows, and feedback. Or if you'd just like to be able to join as a guest. And don't forget, we want to be able to send a shout-out to the people that are in our field that need to be recognized. So if you got a shout-out, go ahead and send us that at the show at ems1.com. You know, Kelly, as you were talking about that you don't think that intubation needs to come out of our toolbox... You know, I agree with that, but here's my question to you. As you talk about this continuum of care, and as you go up that process of using CPAP, of using superglottic airways, of getting to intubation, aren't we really taking it out anyway? Because we should be able to find something that should work before we get to the definitive end-all, beat-all, and uh, maybe that's not intubation. Well, I, 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 I disagree, because... You know, the, the, the care we're providing, at least the, the stabilization, uh, is not fundamentally different than, uh, the, than the care provided in, in the emergency department. And in the emergency department, they're still intubating people and, and, and for the most part, proficient at it. Uh, we should be able to, you know, the whole concept of EMS has always been to bring the emergency department to you. Um, so... There are agencies that should have superglottic airway as their primary airway device simply because they are not uh, uh, practiced enough at it. Uh, they don't get enough opportunities to become proficient at it. Um, and, and for those people, superglottic airway should be your, your first choice. But for the, uh, the agencies and the EMS systems that, that do get adequate practice at, at advanced airway management, they need to make sure that, that they are proficient enough that, that the, their first option, endotracheal intubation, is in that 90-plus percent range on the first pass. You should be able to pass 90% of your tubes or better uh, on the first pass. And, and, and really start looking hard at your numbers, even if you're successful. Uh, a, a great example of this is Jeff Jarvis, uh, Dr. Jarvis, and, and, and his work as medical director at, at Williamson County EMS. Uh, this whole idea of, or their concept of resuscitate and then intubate is something that I discuss in the, in the webinar. Uh, they do a good job at, at endotracheal intubation and airway management at Williamson County EMS. Their, their success rates are good. They're, they're something to be proud of. However, uh, Dr. Jarvis was, was looking at their, at their outcomes and he noted that, you know, uh, they had some, some less than ideal outcomes uh, on, people, on patients who were intubated and he wanted to know why. And they, they start crunching the numbers and they realize, uh, you know, at first blush, you think, well, these people did poorly or uh, because it was a difficult airway. And uh, that turned out not to be the case. It turned out that, that uh, a number of their patients with poor outcomes or, or higher mortality, uh, those patients were, were intubated on the first pass and they were graded by the medics as an as a, uh, easy or a relatively easy airway. So there's some other reason for their higher mortality rate. And, and he, uh, he hit upon the, the problem of uh, peri-intubation hypoxia and started requiring that his medics pre-oxygenate adequately using apneic oxygenation and, and uh, uh, good formal uh, pre-oxygenation techniques and get the patient's oxygenation, their hypoxia, uh, um, managed before you intubate them. Uh, 
and in the webinar, somebody also points out you also need to meet their their uh, their their fluid needs as well. You need to treat shock before you insert a, a, an invasive airway if you, if you uh, at all can, uh, because a significant number of your patients with higher shock indices are going to uh, code when you try to tube them as well. Uh, and that's a good point, but it all it, it goes back to this broader concept that that Jarvis espouses: uh, uh, resuscitate then intubate. You don't correct hypoxia with an endotracheal tube. You correct hypoxia with good BLS airway management, a BVM positioning, and high flow oxygen and PEEP, and maybe and maybe uh, apneic oxygenation added to the mix. And once the hypoxia is corrected and the patients, you reassess: Does my patient still need advanced airway management? If so, tube them, and you've got a big wide window before hypoxia sets in again to get that tube successfully. If not, well, then you might stop at a lower rung on the airway continuum and, and manage them with a superglottic airway or just simple positioning it uh, in and of itself. Uh, and I think that's the way we need to go. But we don't need to do away with endotracheal intubation. But I tell you what, if, if a lot of systems don't start looking hard at their numbers and, and, and being kind of uh, self-aware, uh, it's going to get taken away from us. And, and that's what I hope to do with, with uh, webinars like this is, is kind of um, make people aware that we have a problem uh, and give them some tools for dealing with it because their initial education for, for a number of years now has been severely lacking in the realm of uh, uh, invasive airway management. So let's go ahead and go to the far end of the spectrum, right? When we think about advanced airway management, and I want to take you to the, you know, the, the far end. And a lot of systems, you know, some systems have it, some systems don't. But when we talk about things like transtracheal jet ventilation or retrograde mm -hmm. intubation or even going to the, the top of the line of having to conduct a surgical airway, how does this fit into our, into our, uh, you know, our airway management toolbox? Well, I think that transtracheal jets and, and surgical cricothyrotomy kits are, are useful adjuncts. They're, they're another tool to put in the box. Uh, I do think that, that uh, retrograde uh, uh, wire-guided intubation is, is uh, uh, an interesting uh, trick, uh, parlor trick, but it doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, application uh, in advanced airway management. I think the vast majority of them, if you're going to make a stick in the cricothyroid membrane, uh, it's it's a relatively simple matter uh, to insert a dilator and a cannula in and intubate the patient uh, through that uh, through that opening you just created rather than fishing around in the mouth for uh, a J wire with a pair of McGill forceps and then and doing this Rube Goldberg thing. Um, but uh, I think that that if you are if uh, surgical cricothyroidotomy is going to be an option, then we need to have the tools to do that effectively uh, and not improvise because you don't want to be improvising and jury rigging and MacGyvering a, a uh, cricothyroidotomy rig uh, while a patient is, is uh, rapidly getting hypoxic and, and, uh, and tipping toward death. So if you have to, you know, do this with scalpel and a set of curved forceps and and uh, and and rig it along the way, I think it's much better if they have a a uh, cricothyroidotomy kit uh, with a, a made for the purpose device, a quick trach or a per trach or, or something along those lines that you don't have to improvise. You know, we're not fashioning chest seals out of out of uh, Vaseline gauze anymore. 
<laughs> you know, um, we're using made for the purpose chest seals because when someone can't breathe, uh, this is not the time to be, uh, to be improvising a, uh, the appropriate dressing for it. And the same, same holds true for, for cricothyroidotomy. Uh, but I do make the note in the webinar that, that it should be an option that is exercised. Don't move your way. Uh, you don't put a patient, uh, send a patient to the morgue, uh, with a failed airway if they don't have a hole in their neck. We've seen some providers that, that, uh, probably utilize surgical cricothyroidotomy a lot more than they should. Uh, Brian Bledsoe and I were talking to a, a flight medic at, uh, uh, at the Texas EMS conference one time and he's doing his recruiting spiel. And, and he says, you know, I, I, I did, uh, six surgical cricothyroidotomies in my, in the last quarter, uh, you know, by way of bragging about their patient acuity level and how challenging it was. And, and we both nodded politely. And, and as we walked away, Brian kind of, kind of, uh, whispered to me, he said, you know how many surgical cricks I've done in, in 28 years in EMS and, and medicine? Less than six. <laughs> you know, if you had to do six surgical cricothyroidotomies in one quarter, you're either the worst black cloud in the world, or you need to go back and relearn how to use a laryngoscope, son. Yeah. And, and that's that kind of thing. It needs to be one of those options that we have, but it needs to be an option that we, we rightfully recognize as the last resort. Right. Well, it sounds like it was a good webinar, man. I can't wait to take a peek at it. And one thing that, uh, it sounds like a great resource for people to get into, but, you know, give us your closing thought on it, Kelly, if you're going to, you know, give one pearl of wisdom, one kind of closing thought or tip to the audience when it comes to advanced airway management, what do you leave them with? Well, the, the, the overall concept is right there in the title plan c navigating difficult airway and it's it's all about planning and being methodical and having a plan and a backup plan and an oh crap plan uh and and i i make the quote from that noted philosopher uh admiral joshua painter in hunt for red october russians don't tell you dump son without a plan you need to have a plan in place. You need to follow that plan because that's going to help you focus and help you do a better job for your patient. Not time to wing it. But hey, that's what I think. We'd like to hear what you think. What are your tips and tricks for managing a difficult airway? Have you seen the webinar? And if so, give us some feedback on it. We'd love to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Savalero, no slouch at airway management himself, Thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.